Have you ever wanted to see God? I know, doesn't that sound crazy? Well, when I was 14 years old, well, around 14, I'm not exactly sure how old I was. I was a, you know, young teenager. I asked God to show himself to me. I was home alone on like a Friday evening. I don't know why I was home alone. I can't remember the circumstances, but I just remember sitting on my couch. It was the 80s, so it was like an ugly... Um, uh, how do I describe it? It's just, like it's pastel, flowy, kind of stripy uh, string pattern couch. <laughs> I don't know why that matters. But anyway, I sat on this pastel couch, this pastel 80s couch, and asked God to show himself to me. I sat on the couch. I think I even crossed my legs because I knew that was the stance... You know, that's something you did when you wanted to be spiritual, right? <laughs> I was just a young teenager. What did I know? But um, <clears throat> I sat on my couch and I, I asked God to show himself to me. And I waited. I waited one minute. Nothing. I waited two minutes. Nothing. I looked outside the window. It was dark. I was by myself alone in the house. Three minutes went by. And then I started to get freaked out. I was like, oh my gosh. What, what am I doing? What? This is kind of scary. What is it like to even see God? I don't know if this, I don't know if I want to do this. And so I got really freaked out, and I just got off the couch, and I was like, "Okay, I'm done." <laughs> hey guys, good morning. It's morning for me anyway. It's early. I'm in the woods. Um, sun is just peeking through the canopy. It's beautiful. It's musky. It's been raining. But anyway, wherever you are, whatever you're doing, thank you for listening. This is the Construction Monk Podcast. I'm your host, Jay Randall Ori. Um, today we're talking about knowing God. I started with that story about wanting to see God. <clears throat> All right, but I think what I really wanted was to know God. You know, I wanted to have an encounter with God. Have you ever wanted to have an encounter with God? Have you ever had an encounter with God? What does it mean to know God? That's my question. I think um, I think it's important, right? Uh, not many people don't want to know God. Not many people don't believe in God. What does it even mean to believe in God? I've been listening to, uh, or listened to rather, I listened to a talk by Jordan Peterson recently. It was called, um, I'm trying to remember the name of it, Who Really Believes in God? I think something like that. Like, who really believes in God? That was the question. And um, so the whole conversation, he was giving a public speech, a public talk, but the whole conversation was based on a um, panel he was on like a few days before, and the question was presented to the whole panel, do you believe in God? And so he went through, like the whole discussion was him going through um, everybody else's answers and his answer. And he he really worked through this answer. Does he believe in God? Um, that was the main, you know, he talked about other people's answers. and But he, the subject was, do you believe in God? And he talked about belief. And he talked about the idea of belief. And he talked about 
the fact that he can't say he believes in God. And I thought it was really cool because he showed a lot of reverence for the even the idea of believing in God. And he showed a lot of um, sincerity. Like, what does it mean to really believe in God? Like, Jordan Peterson can't say he believes in God, but what he, what he does say is he acts as if God is real. And he says, and, and it works. But he says, I don't know if I can believe. I mean, how do you know God is there? How do you know God is real? Well, that's the question. How do you know God is there? How do you know God? It's a question that's plagued me most of my life. It's why I'm doing what I'm doing. It's why I'm here. It's why I'm a mystic and a contemplative. I've wanted to know God. Like that story of my 14-year-old self. I've wanted to know God. And I've grown up in religion. My dad was a pastor. My parents were missionaries in Australia. I've just lived in church. I've breathed church. Like, you know, when your dad's a pastor, church comes home with you, right? It's like church all the time. I've done door-to-door evangelism as a teen, which I hated. (laughs) I've just lived and breathed church, God, the Bible, tradition, theology. I've been to Bible college about eight years in total. Um, I did not study. I think my major wasn't the Bible, but when you go to Bible college, you minor in Bible. It's just a, it's just, it's it's what you do. Is you're at a Bible college, right? That's why you go to Bible. You, you don't go to Bible college. You know, if you if you're even if you're studying, you know, something other than the Bible. You don't go to Bible college to do that unless you also want to study the Bible, right? And be in a Christian environment. So, yeah, I've done that. Uh, I've had some good training in the Bible. I've read the Bible hundreds of times. I, When I was... Um, I'm trying to remember how old I was. I was in my 20s. I bought a like $300 Greek, he, Greek and Hebrew lexicon. I wanted to get into knowing the Bible and understanding the Bible. But my main drive was I wanted to know God. Don't we all want to know God? Don't we all claim that God is real? Don't we all, most of us, uh, believe in God? Why do we believe in God? You know, it's interesting. um, My glasses are fogging up for some reason. It's just really damp this morning, I guess. I was just looking down at my glasses. Um, I've listened to a four-part series. It's a four-part series of conversations between Jordan Peterson and Sam Harris. I guess this is my Jordan Peterson podcast. (laughs) No. Uh, I'm talking about knowing God, but I'm really talking about knowing Jordan Peterson. No. (laughs) No. So I listened to a four-part a series of conversations between Jordan Peterson and Sam Harris. And I've, I've talked a lot with atheists. Um, I just think it's interesting, even in those conversations, I also listened to a roundtable conversation between what's the, a group called the Four Horsemen. It's this, this is four atheists, uh, Dawkins, Harris, I'm not going to remember their names. Um, but this, the, these are four kind of most notable atheists right now and they they were having a conversation but like Sam Harrison talks Sam Harris sorry Sam Harris talks about this and the the four horsemen talk about this like they talk about 
the reality that belief in God effervesced through ignorance, through ancient culture, through people trying to explain phenomenon that they couldn't explain. And so God, this is also called God of the gaps theory. When you can't explain something, God is the answer. I don't know why this happened or how this happened, but it happened, and so it must be God. But they they really believe, these, these atheists, they, they talk about this idea, they really believe that the idea of God effervesced through ignorance. People made up the idea, and it stuck. And so the idea of God is just a cultural phenomenon, not a not a real phenomenon. It's like there's not a real God out there somewhere. It's just a cultural phenomenon. People started, people came up with this idea that, oh, when things happen, you know, ancient culture, people that didn't know anything about science, biology, astronomy, neurology, you know, anything, they, they didn't have any understanding. So they made up this idea of God and it stuck. And so the, uh, the idea, the belief in God is just a cultural phenomenon. That's been passed down, and and of course, uh, Sam and these other atheists say, well, now it's time. This idea is archaic. It's ignorant. It's not even true. You you know, you look at reality. There's no God's not. They just honestly believe. Obviously, they're atheists. They don't believe God is there, but they honestly believe that people believe in God because it's a it's a cultural phenomenon. They've just been taught to believe in God, but there is no real God there to be experienced. And this is why people become atheists. They wake up one day. It's actually a progression, but they wake up one day and they realize they don't really know God. So I think knowing God, I think it's pretty important. How do you know you know God? How do you, how do you know God is real? Why do you believe in God? That's the question I've asked myself all my life. When I was nine years old, I was baptized. I think most most people that believe in God, I would say this, and I'm, I'm speaking from a Western Christian perspective, but most people that believe in God have had some kind of experience. You know, I would say most people get saved because they have a, a genuine God experience. They feel conviction. They feel God move in them. They they have an epiphany. I call this I call it the epiphany point. Um. They realize that they need to change. They realize that um, God is there and God wants them to live a different way. So I, I think that genuinely speaking, and genu- generally speaking, <laughs> most people have had some kind of God encounter of some kind, and that's how people come to faith. Now, I, you know, like like Sam and, and Dawkins and... Um, I do think that there's also the cultural aspect, right? You grow up in a family, you go to church, you go to church. It's like the norm. But, uh, you know, from my experience, I've seen people come come to accept Jesus as their Lord and Savior. I've seen that many, many times. And there is a genuine personal experience or personal point for them. It's not just that their family wanted them to and they felt pressured or, you know, I mean, that happens sometimes, but I think um, most people, it's a genuine experience. It's a personal experience. It's not just that their 
dad and their mom and their brother and their sister and their grandma and their grandpa and their great grandma and their great grandpa all believed and so they believe and you know i actually do think that in western culture that's that's becoming more and more true but i think generally speaking from for most of its history christianity has been a movement of people who genuinely had a salvation or a saving god experience where they you know, a point, an epiphany point where they realized God really was there. God was convicting them and God was drawing them to himself. And so I think, I think at least most people start out with some kind of experience of God. Which, you know, for them, you know, some people picture it like a stake in the ground. At one point they had this experience, they got saved. At one point... They really knew God was real. And then, you know, of course, doubts come. You get saved, right? I, I, I truly think most people get saved out of a true encounter with God, a true conviction in their heart. They do feel something in their heart. God does move in their life, and they get saved. But sometimes I wonder if that is the only God experience they have. And, of course, you know, I've heard this just in my own tradition and, and Christian upbringing and conversations, there's this, they call it the stake in the ground, right? You know at one point you had this belief and you know you had this experience and you, that's why you got saved and like your baptism. And I think baptism truly is like an external representation of an internal event. And so it helps mark for us the reality that something happened. It helps, you know, touch, we call these touchstones or monuments like uh, Israel when they crossed I think it was the Jordan they built this stone pillar to remind them it's called I guess it's translated into the word Ebenezer it's the song here I raise my Ebenezer by thy faith I have come by great faith whatever I um, can't remember that come thou fount is this is the old hymn and it has that line here here I raise my Ebenezer Da, 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 da. I can't remember the song. <laughs> um, anyway, but that's that line refers to that incident for Israel, and we have our Ebenezer. That that's like that's come thou fount. That's what it's referring to. It's it's a making an allegorical or you know a reference to Israel's raising of the stone pillar, and but it's, it's saying you know we all have our Ebenezer, we all have our salvation point. And that's a stake in the ground. It's a, it's a memorial to the reality that we once had an, a God encounter. And that's how we got saved. But my question is, like, after that, where do we go? And why do we point back to this one event as the time we really knew and got saved? Often because it's the only time. It's the only time we have a, had a God encounter. And it was so, it was so vague and so not unreal, but just a first touch, a first encounter. You know, it was just a brief introduction, you could say. And so if that's all we ever encounter of God, and then we move forward, and I think it's true we move forward into a Christianity that then is mostly intellectualized. You know, we go to church, we hear good sermons, we, we got to read the Bible, we got to do good things, we got to do what the Bible says. Like, I think... Our Christianity often shifts from a God encounter at the beginning to God knowledge and understanding. And, and it shifts from God focus to 
Bible focus and church focus and sacraments and fellowship and potluck dinners and good Sunday sermons and good Sunday evening fellowship and good Saturday, you know, uh, get-togethers and and activities. And it's just the focus often of the gathering of God's people, Christians, is, I don't think, God. True God in, or true God encounters, right? We, we have a God encounter in the beginning, and then we get busy with a lot of other stuff for the rest of our lives. But we have this stake in the ground, this Ebenezer. And we go back to it and say, no, no, when we doubt, because we all doubt, and that's okay. And that's what I'm going to get into, too. I want to get into doubting. But um, like, it's okay to doubt, but when we doubt, I, I think often, instead of going, well, maybe I need to be having more encounters with God. We go, no, no, I had that one encounter. See, there's the stake in the ground. There's my Ebenezer. I'm fine. I, I believe because 10 years ago, oh, now it's 20 years ago. Oh, now it's 30 years ago. Oh, now it's 50 years ago. That one time I had a God encounter, and that's how I know God is real. If that's it, that's not a lot. It's not a lot to go on. It's, it's something. But I think we're meant to continue having God encounters. That was my experience. <clears throat> Like, I was baptized at nine. I really did have a God encounter. Even after I was baptized, I felt the Holy Spirit in me. I felt the Holy Spirit, cons- I don't know if I'd say consistently, but I felt the Holy Spirit for, you know, significantly for about two weeks after I was baptized. And then I didn't. And I think I spent the rest of, you know, the next 20, 30 years trying to understand that. And now I'm a mystic and now I experience God a lot. Now I can say I know God is real. I believe in God because I experience God on a daily basis. Because I've learned to see God. I've come to really know God. And God brought that 14-year-old experience back to me a few years ago. And he said, it was just a really cool moment when God was saying, you, you know why you're here, right? I was like, what? why? Why? He said, you asked to see me. All those years ago, and I've answered that. You wanted to see me, and now you see me every day. You know me. You see. You interact with me every day. And I was like, oh, my gosh. Wow. It was such a cool moment when God showed me that. And I was like, man. He's like, you wanted to see me. And you kept wanting to see me and know me your whole life. And now you see me and know me. Because I wasn't satisfied with one God encounter at the beginning. And we shouldn't be either. None of us should be. Do you really know God? Yeah, you believe in God. You know, it's interesting. There's a scripture. That I, I'm, I didn't look this one up, but I think it is Jesus. He says, you believe in God? Good. Even the demons believe and shudder. Like, big deal. You believe in God. That doesn't mean much. Do you know God? In Matthew chapter 7, it's, I want to say verse 23, but it's around verse 20, 23. Um, Jesus is telling a story, but he says, Many will come in that day and say, Lord, Lord, you know, did we not do all these things? You know, cast out demons, heal the sick. I can't remember all, everything, but you know, basically everything Jesus did in his ministry, they, that's what they said. Did we not do all these things? And Jesus said, Depart from me, you evildoers. I never knew you. Jesus makes this 
stark statement to these people who say, Lord, Lord, did we not do all these things for you? He's like, he never denies they did them, but he's like, what? But I never knew you. We didn't have a relationship. There wasn't an intimate um, knowing of each other. And so everything you do out of not knowing me doesn't really, it's not that good. It's not good to do things if you, for God when you don't really know God because you can't really do things, God things, if you don't know God. Right? That's a stark statement. I want to get into uh, John chapter 17 because Jesus talks again about this idea of knowing God. But I just want to say, I think um, my point is... It's important to know God, to truly know God. And what does it truly mean? To know God. And how do we define that? And is that, is that good, right? Is it, do we just have one encounter once and then the rest of our lives is, is just living off of that one encounter? and just, just really, we experience God once and then the rest of our lives we're just educating our minds and populating our thoughts with ideas and and we're you know getting our bodies in contact with other people that have had the same one experience and so we're just living this echo chamber but we we don't really continue encountering God knowing God our knowing of God is really kind of what would I say basic shallow um Minimal. We have a minimal knowing of God. You know? We, we, maybe we encounter God once, but then the rest of our knowing of God is just through Bible stories of other people that knew God. Of other people that had multiple encounters with God, but we don't. Right? Our example is people that encountered God a lot, including Jesus, but we don't. I don't think that's right. And I didn't, and that's why I'm here. And that's what I'm trying to encourage you in. So let's go to... Um, John chapter 17. It's a long passage. I'm going to try to... I'm going to try to... Sorry, I got distracted. I'm going to try to just hit upon certain verses, but we're going to start at the beginning. So this is pretty cool. Um, this whole chapter is Jesus' prayer. It's, it's titled, Jesus' Prayer for His Followers. Right, but this is like I think this is pretty significant. So Jesus is getting ready to be crucified. He's days away, maybe a day away, from being crucified. He's getting ready to leave, and this is his prayer to God about his disciples. Right? I think this is really significant. Like Jesus has spent three years with these guys, three years teaching the crowds, but he's getting ready to go, and he's got this one prayer to God before he goes. I think this is his exit request of God for his disciples who are about to take his mission, take on his mission in the world. I think this prayer says a lot about who Jesus was, about who Jesus is, about his heart for us. Like, he's getting ready to leave, and he's like, I got to talk to God about what's coming. About, I got to talk to God about all those who come after me who bear my name. Like, this is pretty, I think this is pretty, a pretty important prayer. So, and it's long, it's a whole chapter, but I'm not going to read all of it. 
Jesus said these things, then raising his eyes in prayer, he said. So these things, he's been talking to the, to the disciples about the Holy Spirit, right? <laughs> so cool. This is cool, man. Like, I think from John 14 on, most of that's the Holy Spirit. So Jesus, again, Jesus has been, he's getting ready to go. And he's like, man, what do I need to say to, the, to my followers before I leave? I'm talking about the Holy Spirit to them. That's what I'm talking about. Why? Because that's our God connection. Because we need to experience God. We need to have God in us. We need to have God leading us. We need to have a true knowing of God. And so Jesus spends like three, four or five chapters before this prayer talking about how we know God, how we can interact with God. And then he says, and then he has this prayer. Father, it's time. Display the bright splendor of your son so the son in turn may show your bright splendor. You put him in charge of everything human so he might give real and eternal life to all in his charge. And this is the real and eternal life. Are you listening? Jesus is saying this is the essence of eternal life. This is the essence of salvation. This is the essence of everything that, that is good and life-giving. This is what he says. This is the real and eternal life that they know you, the one and only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you sent. I glorified you on earth by completing down to the last detail what you assigned me to do. And now, Father, glorify me with your very own splendor. The very splendor I had in your presence before there was a world. I spelled out your character in detail to the men and women you gave me. I want to stop there. Jesus is like, I'm getting ready to leave. I got one request. I want, I want my followers to know real eternal life. And this is real eternal life. That they know you and they know me. Hmm. Not that they know the Bible. Not that they know the scripture. Not that they know a lot of good truths. Not that they know a lot of good theology. Not that they have a lot of good fellowship. All those things are important. But Jesus is like, I'm, I'm getting ready to leave. And this is what I really, really, really am asking God. That my followers would know you and know me. Mm. And then he's, he, he goes on, you know, I, he's like, I glorified you on earth. He's just like, I, I, what he's saying is, I really showed who you were through my life. And he said, I did that by being obedient to you because I knew you intimately. And so I did, out of that intimacy, I acted out of what you, I was obedient to you. So I, like, I really showed everybody who you were. And I could only do that because I really knew who you were. And I lived out of what you told me to do. I had an intimate, personal, day-to-day, moment-to-moment interaction with you. And out of that, I I. And Jesus said all the time, I only, I only do what the Father tells me to do. I only say what the Father tells me to say. He had this real intimate dependence on God at every moment. And this is exactly what he's saying he wants for his followers. An intimate knowing, an intimate connection with God. He's like, I want them to know you and me. That's what I want. That's eternal life. That's my prayer. Amazing. Um, I'm skipping ahead in, in the scriptures. Um, I'm just seeing what I want to hit next. 
Well, I think this is interesting. I mean, he talks about this, and this is the message, so it's worded a little different, but I really like, he goes on and he says, everything mine is yours and yours mine, and my life is on display in them, for I'm no longer going to be visible in the world, but they'll continue in the world while I, ret while I return to you. So guard them as they pursue this life that you conferred as a gift through me. So they can be one heart and mind as we are one heart and mind. So it's interesting too. I think he, uh, he maybe it's not in this passage or maybe it's worded differently in the message. But he's like, here's how it works. Everything mine is yours and yours mine. And then now I want everything that is ours to be theirs. He says, my life is on display in them. I'm not going to be in the world anymore, but they will be. So guard them. As they pursue this life that you give conferred as a gift through me. Like he's talking about this um, relational flow between the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And the gift he's referring to is the Holy Spirit. He's, the disciples are going to be conferred this gift of the Holy Spirit. Jesus is saying, we have this relational flow between us. That's how this works. I know you, you know me, the Spirit knows us. What, he says, what I have, I give to the Spirit. Or, or the Father gives to me and I give to the Spirit and the Spirit gives to you. There's this flow. Again, he spent the last four chapters talking about the Holy Spirit. And now he's praying that we truly know God and know Him. And it's through the conferring of this gift. We have the Holy Spirit. Through the Holy Spirit we can know God. Through, through Christ, there's this connection. This is why we, we say we're followers of Christ. This is why we say because we accept Jesus as our Lord and Savior. We recognize that Jesus, and as he said, everything mine, uh, everything that uh, you've, you've placed in my charge, everything human, he's saying, I, I'm meant to be this human representation. And that's what Hebrews says too, that Jesus was the fullest human representation of God. Clearest, you could say, most precise representation of the image of God. So Jesus is like, I'm... You know, I came to really reveal. <laughs> I just realized I don't have my glasses on. I'm like, where are my glasses? <laughs> I take them off so I can read the screen. Um, checking my time. You know, last, last, I, <laughs> this is pretty cool. Uh, last Saturday I was recording and I lost my recording. So I'm going back to check my time. I'm like being very careful. <laughs> anyway, um, yeah, my glasses are hanging on my shirt. I do that all the time so I can read the scripture. But um, relational flow. Like Jesus is he's saying, he's, his prayer to God is that we would know God, know him. And it's through the Holy Spirit, this con gift conferred to us for the for the purpose of knowing God. That's why we have the Holy Spirit so we can know Jesus, so we can know God through the Holy Spirit because we have God in us. That's what I call an epiphany point. I don't believe that we are separated from God before we are quote saved. I believe we we get a fuller um, indwelling of God once we're saved. We actually invite God in more fully. That's why I call it an epiphany point. It's a fuller opening to God. But that's the whole point. Is I mean, you can't have been drawn, or you can't... 
word this. You can't be in the process of being drawn to God if God's not God with you before you're saved, right? So that's just an obvious statement. So like this whole thing of coming to be saved is the fact that God's already moving and working in our hearts and minds and lives. And we reach this point where, this epiphany point where we realize things, we have, you know, repentance just means to change your mind. We realize things, we realize we need to make changes, we realize that God wants us, wants to lead us on a different path in life. And that path really is typified by beginning to walk with God leading us. Galatians says, keep in step with the Holy Spirit, right? Galatians chapter 5. Um, that's, that's how we get the fruits of the Spirit, right? The fruit of God in us only comes as we walk with God. One of my favorite Old Testament verses, it's Isaiah. It says, the Spirit will be a voice behind you in the way, saying, this is the way to go, walk in it. <laughs> I love that verse because, like, I just, this is how I picture it. The Holy Spirit is like God walking with us, whispering on earth. Because this is a voice behind you in the way. Like, as you walk through life every day. Jesus said, I'm the way. <laughs> but this voice like whispering in your ear saying, go here, turn left there, do this. You know, what do we do when we, when we pray? What is prayer about? God, help me. You know, what, I, what should I do here? What should I do about this? God, help me in this situation. Isaiah says, the Holy Spirit will be like a voice behind you in the way saying, go here, do this. That's what Jesus said. Jesus was baptized in the Holy Spirit. You realize that? John baptized him in water. And John said, I, I baptize in water. Um, but one is coming who will baptize you in the Spirit. And Jesus in Scripture says, yeah, that's actually in the three synoptic Gospels, I think. And it's also in Acts, where it says, John baptized with water, but Jesus baptized, Jesus came baptizing in the Holy Spirit. But Jesus himself was baptized in the Holy Spirit. The dove descended. When John baptized him in water, the dove descended. Did Jesus need to get more of God in him? I don't think so, but he had an epiphany point, we could say. Even if it was symbolic, he had a point at which God came more fully upon him. The scripture even says he grew in wisdom and stature. Like Jesus as a human was fully human, so he actually had to do the same things we did. He had to grow in wisdom. Stature was just means he grew up physically, but he also grew up in, in, in knowledge and wisdom, but he also had to have the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. He had, a, had to have a, a more full immersion in the Spirit like we do in order to begin to walk in his ministry. Did Jesus get saved when John baptized him? <laughs> now he just had a fuller opening of God, which allowed him to do a more full work out of a more full participation and i don't i don't know you know did he really receive a more full uh measure of god he was god but maybe there was just a more full opening even as god to god because he was also human but we need the same thing <sighs> that's why we're baptized water is just a symbol and for and first peter says that it's, it's not a matter of washing the body it's the pledge of a good conscience. It's what he says. It's an internal thing that happens. It's a pledge to begin to walk with God because we've received a more full immersion into God and now we're trying because we need a more fuller knowing of God. 
Um, but how do we do that? So I've, you know, I've put before you this idea. We need to know God, right? So I might get back to John 17. I might not. First, I'm going to take a quick drink. I'm going to pause this. Woo! I'm just really nervous about losing my podcast. You push stop and it pauses, but then it doesn't show you anything. I was like, oh, did I do that right? And I, you hit record again, and it, here it is. Here I am. Um, so I was listening to that conversation, that talk by Jordan Peterson. And, man, I had, I had an epiphany point. He was talking about Jacob's encounter with God. I think it was at Bethel. No, it wasn't Bethel. No. I can't remember. I'm trying to remember. Jacob's Bethel encounter was when he was on his way to Laban, I think. So Jacob had this encounter with God. It's where he wrestled with God. And Peterson was talking about this story. And it just, man, I'm telling you, when he was telling the story, I got goosebumps. God just hit me hard and was like, pay attention to this story that Peterson is telling. So Peterson's talking about, so Jacob, it's been like 20 years since he's seen Esau, right? And he left on bad terms. He had to flee because Esau was so mad at him because he stole his birthright and he stole his blessing. And Esau was firstborn. He's supposed to get that blessing. And he was, I, you know, I think the Bible indicates fairly clearly that Esau wanted to kill Jacob and Jacob knew it. And so Jacob's mom was like, Dude, you need to get out of here. And it was that that time when he had the Bethel experience, which means house of God, where he, he had this dream of God ascending and descending. He had a God encounter right on his way. And God basically said, I'm going to be with you. And, and Jacob was like, if you're going to be with me, then I'm going to be okay. So God was comforting him and letting him know, I'm going to be with you. He had this God encounter at Bethel. This vision of seeing angels descending and ascending on the ladder to heaven. Jacob's Ladder. That's what we call Jacob's Ladder. But so this is a different account. This is like 20 years later. He's gone to, he went to Laban. He got married. Uh, he married Rebecca and Leah, right? And uh, he's had kids. He's, like, he's just like, and you know the story. You may not know the story, but he, you know, he, 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 he's a sheep tender for, he's a shepherd for Laban. And then he makes this deal with Laban because he's working for Laban. He makes a deal about getting his own sheep, right? He's working and he wants to establish his own household. And Laban keeps tricking him, but God keeps favoring him. And, you know, so at this point, Jacob is, he decides to leave Laban because he's like, I'm, we're both too big for this, for this land. You know, we, we can't sustain both of us. And there was some bad blood between them. And Jacob was tired of Laban's. Isn't that interesting? Jacob means the deceiver. <laughs> Jacob's tired of Laban tricking him. <laughs> I guess Jacob got his up and comings. He learned his lesson about deceiving people and taking things that weren't his because Laban did the same thing to him for like 20 years. So, so Jacob now decides to leave and Esau hears about it. And I don't know, I don't know how the detail, like he, Jacob is, is moving with this huge caravan of sheep and, and servants and his wives and kids and Esau's coming and he finds out that Esau's coming. So he makes this plan. He plan. He puts all like. He kind of puts his sheep, and he kind of makes a plan to try and appease Jacob, basically. But the night before all this is happening, so this is just a big like. This is 
you could see it as a revert in reverse order. Like Jacob has this God encounter on his way out and now he's coming back and he has another God encounter. And at night he wrestles with God. He's contending with God for a blessing and he wrestles with God and he wins. That struck me like never before. Jacob wrestled with God. Jacob had a wrestling match with God and he won. And it says, in, in the scripture, it says that God touched, even though he won, God touched his hip in it and, and it, got, it got put out of place and he limped forever after. But in that wrestling, guess what? He received a blessing. The blessing was, you're no longer called Jacob. You're called Israel. He changed his name. He changed his life. He had another God encounter that changed his life and sent him on a new direction. He's like, you're not Jacob. You're not the deceiver anymore. You're now Israel, which means father of many nations. I, I believe that's right. Father of a nation. Like you're, it, it, That struck me for the first time. That Jacob, not that Jacob, I know that story, but Jacob wrestled with God and won. You don't wrestle with God and win. <laughs> you just, that just doesn't happen. You, you don't wrestle God. You don't have a contest of strength with God and win. If you win in a wrestling match with God, it's because God lets you win. <laughs> there's, no, there's no question. You don't win a wrestling match with God. If you win, like, I have races with my kids all the time. My daughter's four. My son is, my middle son is nine. My oldest son doesn't care to race. He's not, he just doesn't care. But those two, my six-year-old daughter and my nine-year-old son, I have races with them. I have competitions with them. I let them win. They don't beat me. There's no way. <laughs> Someday they'll be faster than me. Not today. Not today. But the um, same with God. Jacob wrestles with God. He's wrestling for a blessing. He wants something from God. God lets him win. You think God was going to bless him anyway? What's the point of the wrestling? You know, God reminded me of that in that moment. How I've come to know God. I've wrestled with God. That's how I've come to know God. That's how you come to know God. You wrestle with God. You don't sit in your nice pew with your nice theology and read your nice Bible in the morning with your cup of coffee and everything's nice and comfortable and good and without struggle and without wrestle. You come to know God. You have God encounters when you wrestle with God. How do you know God? It's not one time and then after that you get this quaint, nice, comfortable theology and you live your nice, comfortable life and you never doubt and you never struggle and you never ask hard questions and you never really ask God to show up and wrestle with God. That, you, don't, you don't come to know God by settling into a comfortable Christianity and a comfortable theology and a comfortable life and all is blessing and all is the primrose path and blue skies. And we all struggle. Of course, there's, there are hard times. But do we embrace the struggle and do we understand in the struggle? That's how we come to know God. It's clear that we're supposed to know God. It's also clear to me that a lot of the Christian religion translates knowing God to knowing the Bible and having some good ideas, some good theologies. I've been to Bible college. The teaching of God is a book. I wonder sometimes if, God, if the book is not our God. If the Bible is not, if we know the Bible more than we know God, or we think knowing God is knowing the Bible, is the Bible our God? Do we really know God? 
Do we have a one-time, brief, minimal encounter with God and then the rest of our God knowing is really a book and a group of people and a theology and a tradition and a religion? Like you can't know God if you don't wrestle with God. But let me tell you, when you wrestle with God, you win. <laughs> That's the cool thing. Wrestling with God, what does that mean? I, I think back on my life, because I mean, I'll tell you, I'll be honest, I'm like, I'm astounded. I'm humbled, I'm grateful, I'm amazed that I've come to know God like I do. And You know, if someone were to ask me, how do you know God? I'd be like, how did you come to know God? What does it mean to know God? I would say, man, it's hard to explain. How did I come to know God? But you know, I, I think <clears throat> the one thing I can say through my life is I wrestled with God. What does that mean? I asked God hard questions. I had hard doubts. I didn't accept the status quo of my Christianity and the comfortable pew life, the comfortable Sunday morning life that was presented to me. I didn't accept it. It wasn't, didn't, it, I had this God encounter when I was nine, when I was baptized. I experienced the Holy Spirit. And everything after that wasn't like that. And that didn't set well with me. I wrestled. I ask God hard questions, middle of the night questions, dark night of the soul questions. Are you really there, God? Can you really be known? I want to know you. I want to see you like that 14-year-old encounter or that 14-year-old request. I want to see you. I want to know you. I'm not satisfied with comfortable Christianity, with just knowing the Bible reading stories about other people that knew you but not knowing you myself. I didn't accept it. I wrestled through. I asked questions again and again. I asked God questions as if God could answer, and eventually He did. <laughs> I asked God to show Himself to me, and eventually He did. Because I wrestled through, and I struggled, and I doubted, and I reached points where I felt like giving up, and I felt like it wasn't possible, and I wondered if God really was there. But I stuck with it, and I wrestled. And God let me win, which means God eventually let me know and see God. And guess what? It's not fun. It's not easy. Just like Jacob, his hip was displaced in the process. It doesn't leave us whole in some ways. It, it's through the breaking and through the struggle and through the wrestle and through the hard things. Being broken. Sometimes being broken just means... It's not been easy. We've had to struggle. We took the path that was harder, but it was better. Usually the better things are harder. Usually the comfortable things don't get us much that's really good. It's not comfortable wrestling with God. It's not comfortable to doubt. I've had a lot of conversations with atheists. I've felt, I've struggled, I've wrestled through their doubts. I've learned so much by wrestling with the doubts of myself and others and staring into the void and wondering if God truly was there could be experienced it's scary because it takes us to scary places hard places it's the wrestling it's through the wrestling that we come to know God if you're not wrestling with God on a day-to-day -day basis year to year all through your life you won't come to know God I know that sound that can sound vague. Like what does that mean? Well, that's what we're going to be talking about. Last week I tried to start a series called Hearing God. 
And I am going to start that series. But I wanted to start. This is like a precursor. Knowing God. One, I just wanted to tell you, like, you need to know God. Two, I, I wanted to talk to you about what it means to know God. You have to wrestle through. You have to doubt. You have to ask God questions as if God can really answer. And you have to believe that he will answer. And you have to look and wait. A lot of scriptures in the Old Testament especially talk about those who wait on the Lord and all the promises that entail that are that that entails when we wait on God God shows up if we wait long enough for faithful if we wrestle through and ask and seek and knock as Jesus said ask and it shall be given seek and you will find knock and the door will be open to you the paradigm to knowing God is ask seek knock be persistent. Keep asking. Keep seeking. Keep knocking. It's active. It's daily. It's not asked one time and God didn't answer. So I, I, I just can't know God. I spent a whole year asking and I didn't get an answer. So I just, no. You keep asking. You keep knocking. You keep seeking. You don't give up. And if you don't give up, even if it takes, I mean, what, what, how long are you willing to wait? Like to know God? What, what is it like? Well, I tried to know God once. I spent a year and it didn't happen, so I just went. I thought, well, hmm, I might as well just go on and have some fun in life. What, what, else, what else is there? <laughs> like, what, how important is it to you to know God? Is it worth a year? Is it worth two? Is it worth ten? Is it worth twenty? I'm telling you, it's worth my whole life. It should be worth your whole life, too, to know God. It's worth it. Because what else is there? The disciples, when, when Jesus... Uh, this is John. This is John. Like I don't know, chapter thirteen, maybe fourteen. Jesus talked about how he was the bread of life, and it says a lot of disciples left him at that time because it was a hard teaching when he said, "You must eat of my flesh and drink of my blood," and or "You're not my follower." And a lot of a lot of people couldn't handle that, and so Jesus turns to his disciples, the twelve, in that moment, and said, "Will you leave me too?" And they said, "Where else will we go? You have the words of eternal life. <laughs> You're the source of eternal life. Where else can we go?" Well, that's my question to you. Where else, where, what else in life is good? Where else will you go to find good life but God? And if that's true, then keep going to God and keep wrestling through to know God. It's worth it. Don't give up. I'm going to try and jump back over. Oh, whoops. I'm going to try and jump back over. <laughs> I'm really nervous about losing my... This is funny. I'm laughing at myself. I just went to the wrong screen on my phone. I'm like, I was worried about le losing my podcast again. Not going to do it. Hmm. Okay. Um, I know there's a... Towards the end of chapter John chapter 17... There's another good passage here. I'm just trying to skip over to it. Here we go. Here we go. This is um, starting with verse 20. This is towards the... I don't know if it's towards the end. Let me see. It's kind of middle to end of John chapter 17. This is what Jesus says. Again, he's, this is, whole thing is a prayer. He says, I'm praying not only for them, but also for those who will believe in me because of them and their witness about me. The goal is for all of them to become one heart and mind, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, so they might be one heart and mind with us. 
then the world might believe that you in fact sent me. The same glory you gave me. Uh, oh, sorry. I'm The same glory you gave me, I gave them. So they'll be as unified and together as we are. I just lost my place for a minute. I and them and you and me. Then they'll be mature in this oneness and give the godless world evidence that you've sent me and loved them in the same way you've loved me. Father, I want those you gave me to be with me right where I am so they can see my glory, the splendor you gave me. I think this is a good place to end. Jesus pray. So he starts out saying, I want them to have real eternal life. And it's, what is real eternal life? No God, no Jesus. Knowing, knowing you and knowing me, that's what Jesus said. When they know you they, and they know me. A true knowing of God is eternal life. It's true life. And then he ends with, I'm praying not only for them, but also for all those who will believe. This is, uh, this is us. This is you. This is me. The goal is for all of them to become one heart and mind, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, so they might be one heart and mind with us. Then the world might believe that you, in fact, sent me. The same glory you gave me, I gave them. So they'll be as unified and together as we are. I in them and you in me. Do you see it? Jesus in us through the Holy Spirit and Jesus in God. You could picture it like Jesus is the bridge between God and the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is in us. And so we're connected. It's this, this relational flow. As God, the Father, is connected to the Son, to the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit is connected to us, we, we enter this relational flow. I in them and you in me. Then they'll be mature in this oneness. Oneness is the goal. I mean, this is, this is a knowing of God that is profound. It's profoundly much more expansive and deep than any other kind of knowing of another person we could ever have. <laughs> that was a uh, that was a very wordy way to say that, but we can know God like we can know God in deeper ways than we can know anyone else. But often we think it's the opposite. We can hardly know God like we know anybody else, but it's the opposite. Oneness. There is this intimacy with God that Jesus talks about, that Jesus promises here, I in them and you in me, that is so deep. It's beyond human relationships. It's better, deeper, wider, more intimate. God is in us. There's, there's, there can be no deeper intimacy than someone who lives life in us, with us, who feels all our thoughts and emotions and body sensations with us, who feels and lives every moment with us. That's a deep intimacy. And that is a true knowing of God. It's a knowing like no other knowing. <sighs> the question is, do you want that? I think that's the only question. I don't think the question is, can you have it? Jesus says, this is his prayer. This is his desire. I don't think it's a question of, can you have it? It's, do you want it? If you want it, you'll have it. That's what, I believe that. I think that's what Jesus teaches. It's there for you. Do you want it? How bad do you want it? Are you willing to wrestle your whole life? Are you willing to, to ask, seek, knock? Are you willing to be persistent 
Are you willing to seek God with your whole heart, mind, spirit, body, soul, strength? Right? Are you willing to give everything, every minute, every moment, every ounce of attention and focus and strength and energy to knowing God? If you don't give up, it'll happen. That's my encouragement for you today. One, that you can know God, and two, but two, that you have to wrestle through. You have to face the darkness. You have to do the hard things, ask the hard questions. Give God the opportunity. Giving God the opportunity to show up is hard because what if he doesn't? What if he doesn't show up and then you have to wrestle through? He didn't show up and then you have to try and see that God did show up and you just weren't looking for it in the right way. Or maybe it just wasn't the right answer. And maybe it's not God that needs to change, but we need to change. Or it's not that God didn't answer us, but he didn't give the answer we wanted. And so there's this, this process of, as we wrestle through, there's a process of coming to understand and learn how God speaks and how God shows up. It's not that if God shows up, it's how. That's the real question, and that's the wrestle. So I lost, I, I've mentioned this like 15 times, but I lost my podcast last week. Right, and I was I was so deflating. I mean, I was just I can't describe. I mean, you've had these experiences. If something doesn't go your way, and it's just it's not just a minor thing. It's like the the you know the promotion at work, or that girl you asked out, or that guy you wanted to date, and the answer was no. This is deflating, and so that was my experience last week. I lost the podcast, and so I asked God to give it back. Right. And I'm I'm walking out. I, I I'm on trails, right? I'm walking out of the park, and I'm looking. It's not there. I'm looking. Is, like, is it going to show up, God? I get home. It's crazy. Last Saturday was crazy. It's been a crazy week. We had we had our house torn up. We had two rooms, li- living room, kitchen, ceilings drywalled, and so there's we've had just all the furniture moved out. The floors covered with paper. It's just been a crazy week. So I came home to that. I kept looking and never showed up. I asked God, and you know what? God answered me a different way. He said, just just um, replay an old podcast. You know what? That's really cool because God answered God answered my the prayer I was asking and a prayer I wasn't even asking. God showed me how to, if I need to take a break. And I've I actually been thinking about this. I've, so this is cool. God answered another question. I've been, I didn't even really ask, but I've been thinking like, can I can I really do this every week or what if I can't and I want to be consistent and how do I do that? And so God was like, I answered this. You've been wondering this and you didn't even really ask me formally, but I I know you've been asking this question. What am I what what if I can't do a podcast every week? And here here I got the answer. I can always replay an old one every once in a while. He didn't give me the podcast back like I wanted. But he answered my prayer in a way that I wasn't expecting. But that's the point. Learning to hear God means sometimes learning how God speaks and being open to how God will answer. God answered me last week, but I was willing to hear an answer I wasn't looking for. God is there. God can be known. But there's a wrestle. There's a wrestle, and the wrestle really is our will because we want God to show up a certain way, and God doesn't usually show up the way we want. And so the wrestle is, well, it doesn't look like he showed up, God, and God's like, I did show up. You're looking right. You need to look left. Stop asking me to do this because I'm not going to do that because that's not good. And you haven't even learned that yet. So there's, it takes a lifetime of learning to figure out 
how to know God. It's a wrestle. It's a struggle. There's lots of doubt. There's lots of dark nights. There's lots of questions and hard things. But are you willing to wrestle through to know God? That's the question. Are you willing? It's possible. You can know God. It's not a matter of if. It's a matter of how. Are you willing to, to put the time in? You can know God. That's my encouragement to you. There's no formula. That's, that's, the, that's the other thing. There's no formula. I can't tell you do X, Y, Z. I did X, Y, Z. You do, I, I don't even have X, Y, Z. I have, I have A to Z. I have the Alpha and the Omega. <laughs> oh, my recording site just had a message pop up on the screen, and I was like, I wanted me to rate the, rate the app. And I'm like, I'm in the middle of recording, dude. What? what uh, whatever. I'm still, I'm, still, I'm still freaked out about leaving that, losing that podcast. But you know what? I went in this morning and there was an unnamed podcast processing. I think it came back to me. We'll see. That's pretty cool. God answered that too. Well, I, I think so. I, I, I didn't, I, I'm pretty sure that's it didn't come when I wanted either. That's the other thing is it doesn't always come when you want how you want. That's the wrestle. That's, what, that's how you learn to know God as you wrestle through. Don't get freaked out in the beginning because it didn't happen and you think, oh my gosh, maybe God's not really there and I don't want to face that doubt. That's, that's the dark night of the soul. Those are the dark nights. It's not just one time. Those are the dark nights of the soul when you ask God to show up and God doesn't show up and, you, and then you're like, oh my gosh, God... Are you really there? But when you push through those questions, you find God really is. But when you get scared and run away and you run back to the comfortable Christianity and the safe theology and, and your safe words in a book because you faced the dark night and you couldn't face it and you ran away from it, that's what prevents us from knowing God. When we face the dark night and the hard questions and we don't push through them, to see that God really is there. It's not comfortable. It's a wrestle, just like Jacob. It may displace our hip. It may leave us scarred. But man, I'd rather go through life scarred, knowing God, than comfortable with an easy Christian truth that doesn't really connect me to God and help me know God at all. Man, I love you guys. This has been a Construction Monk podcast. I'm your host, Jay Randall Ori. You can catch more content at www.moderncontemplative.com. And I'm almost done getting my books together. I got two books coming out. I'm excited. I'll be talking more about that. Also, if you want to get, catch some of my videos, uh, Google J. Randall Ori, and you'll get my YouTube station. Hey, love you guys. Thanks for listening. I really do enjoy getting to talk to you, and I hope it really helps you know God. Amen.